Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Four years, four drafts, and 100,000 comments later, California's State Board of Education has approved what's considered the nation's first statewide ethnic studies curriculum for public schools. Set in motion by a 2016 law, it now falls to teachers and districts to implement the optional curriculum that aims to teach students about the struggles of marginalized groups and address racism. We look at the new ethnic studies curriculum model and why it continues to draw pushback. That's next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. At an approval meeting this month for California's new statewide ethnic studies curriculum, officials cited the killings in Georgia of mostly Asian women as the latest example, as Board of Education President Linda Darling-Hammond put it, that racism is a clear and present danger that education can help combat. In this hour, we look at the new ethnic studies curriculum model that was years in the making and what it means that teachers and districts have been given flexibility in how they will implement it. Joining us first is John Fensterwald, editor-at-large at EdSource, an independent not-for-profit research and reporting organization. John Fensterwald, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Mina. I know you've been following this whole process as it's unfolded since the new law mandating it in 2016. You've described California's model curriculum as not a full curriculum. What do you mean by that? Right. It's it's really not a curriculum for those districts who thought they would be handed a blueprint with just sort of a everything they need to do is taught in this one package. It's really voluntary. Uh, the whole thing is voluntary and it provides a conceptual framework and it consists of sample lessons and principles and some instructional tips. But at this point in California, ethnic studies is, is not mandated and neither is this so-called curriculum model curriculum. And some might say it's not a model because there's been <laughs> a lot of argument over the last four years. Was that the original plan or did that develop over the course of realizing how difficult it was to put something like this together? No, it was always intended to be a quote, a model, which is to say, here's a model. You can, you choose it if, if you want to. And if you don't, that's fine because recognizing that California is a big place with many uh, ethnicities and races and, and that it's hard to tell one community what to focus on. If you're Armenians or a large group in your community, then you want to bring in their story too. And it may not be in another place, but uh, ethnic studies as it's defined in California is focused on four quote foundational groups, which is the, the groups that came out of the 
ethnic studies movement in the 60s, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Native Americans, and Latinos and Chicanos. And while it's technically for K-12 schools, it really is a high school curriculum or a high school model? It's a high school model. It's not intended to be a K-12 at this point. There is no K-12 curriculum for ethnic studies. And this, and you can read the intent uh, that uh, Luis Alejo in 2016 in writing it, he talked about compatible with make sure that some of the courses will be A to G approved. In other words, approved as a college, uh, that a course that uh, UC and CSU would accept. And it's written with a 912 framework in mind as a model course that could be sort of integrated into a history course if you choose, or as a separate course, one semester, two semester. As you've alluded to, there are critics, there are advocates of this final curriculum. You've also described the disagreements that came up between advocates and critics as irreconcilable differences. Can you explain what some of the biggest disagreements were and, and why you describe it that way? Right. Well, it, it um, when the when law was passed, it didn't really dictate what ethnic studies should be. Uh, Luis Alejo didn't. He said, we want, to, we want to encourage global citizens. And, and so it left it up to the State Board of Education and what's called the Instructional Quality Commission, which is an advisory committee to the State Board, to come up and come up with, with a framework. What he did say in the bill and the State Board in issuing guidelines is that you should have faculty of ethnic studies courses in college and in K-12 to advise and help write the draft. And that, and there were a couple other things, such as uh, it gave a nod um, to the to the uh, movement in the '60s that uh, created ethnic studies. That should be part of the course as well. But basically, it left it up to the drafters to come up with this. And so, the main areas of disagreement was basically understanding that this is not a multi multicultural course. This is not have everybody come in and tell their stories. This is a counter narrative. It says it in the, in the preface and it's very clear. This is not the traditional history that you got in high school. This is a story about racial group struggles. And, and it's to quote, it should highlight core ethnic studies concepts of equality and equity, justice, race and racism, ethnicity and bigotry and indigeneity, which is to say native peoples. And, and further along, it says, and this is important, it requires a commitment from the school community, parents, administrators, elected officials, and nonprofit partners to support an ethnic studies program, even when it challenges conventional ideals or prompts difficult conversations. So it's not your traditional history course. It's not a course in everybody's heritage and, and history. And it's, it's a course about those who experience racism and struggles. And so the disagreements quickly became is there were a lot of groups who wanted their lessons in there. Um, there were, you know, Sikhs and Koreans and Japanese and Jewish Americans. They wanted their story told. And the curriculum said it, it, we should focus on the four foundational groups, but heck, uh, everybody's story deserves to be told in the context of the American story to make us all appreciate each other's stories and, and value that. The other thing was, is when you get to the, it, what is, should you see 
everything through the prism of white suppression, white oppression and white supremacy. And that sort of gets into the theory of critical race theory, which, which is, which is says that's it's you view. It's a way of viewing the connections of racism through history that you see it through the impact of race. And so there are those who say, no, it's not the only perspective that you do. And the state board was really clear that we want you to be multiple perspectives. We want you to critique it critically, but that also includes crit- criticize those who critique it critically, which mm-hmm. is to say you seek multiple points of view. And there's a fundamental disagreement there. That's the irreconcilable piece. But as far as everyone's telling their stories, there are lots of lessons that have been included in the later drafts for for people in the local communities, if that's what they want, they can introduce various lessons or discard those lessons and come up with their own. If it's irreconcilable, where did the state ultimately land or where did this model ultimately land on those mm-hmm. very thorny questions, John Fensterwald? Yes. Well, uh, it remains to be seen if it can be reconciled because now it all shifts to the local districts away oh. from this model curriculum. So it's for up to every district to decide. But the board, and as it worked through certain drafts, four drafts, as you mentioned, uh, it worked away from the first draft, which was really written by uh, ethnic studies college professors. And those are real advocates of it. And there was a mention of this one particularly stirred tens of thousands of comments. It got into the issue of the boycott divestment sanctions movement in Israel and the Palestinian issue. And then that, you know, that really was sensitive to American Jews. And they felt, what is that doing in this study? What is this doing in this course? There was a lot of talk about the resistance movements because that is uh part of the heritage of the ethnic studies movement. And so in each draft, there were sort of changes. And let me, and in the final draft, and I think there are a couple changes that if I tell you, you sort of understand um, where it was headed. Uh, 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 For example, they said, yes, there was one that said, added a footnote that said, yes, in college, ethnic studies course has a political point of view, but in K-12, we seek multiple perspectives. That was added uh, towards the end. And there was another one that said, if you're going to study the movements of the 60s, um, the Black Power Movement, the Women's Liberation Movement, the Chicano Movement, make sure that you look at that critically as well. Don't accept that gospel of that. So there was an effort to sort of align it with the traditional ways that we look at history and social studies, which is objectively encourage students to go out and question things and seek multiple perspectives and not accept one point of view. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. You've talked about how really this falls on districts and teachers. So tell us what happens now with this approved curriculum model. Right. So this is, as I say, uh, it's a very good model. It's a good framing. It has many of the things that that the original advocates were seeking are in this framework, as I talked about the impact of race and racism and the like. So now it goes to the individual districts to say, well, what what do I you know, what am I seeking here? How how should we construct out of all these proposed lessons? Um, What do we choose? And what's the perspective that we want to make sure, but primarily it will fall on teachers. So that's what's critical here is that really a lot of teachers haven't 
understood what ethnic studies is, the CSU, I suppose, will begin to train more of them, but they will be in charge. They will have to handle these potentially very difficult questions as you get into race and white privilege and what is white supremacy versus white privilege. These are very difficult conversations as the courses get into them. You really need trained teachers and and Governor Newsom is proposing $5 million in the next budget. And I think there will be additional money as well. I was going to say, do you think $5 million will be enough to to start that process? Well, start it, but not enough, certainly not enough to complete it. Linda Darling Hammond, the chair, uh, president of the state board, said actually there is additional money uh, through the uh, various COVID relief funds that you can actually use it for training on this as well. Wow. Well, there is a lot to get into. Thanks for laying it out for us. John Fensterwald, editor-at-large of EdSource, an independent not-for-profit research and reporting organization. I want to invite, John, our listeners to join this conversation. What questions do you have about the state's ethnic studies curriculum and how it will be implemented? Do you have an experience taking ethnic studies classes that you would like to share? Also curious if you're an educator, would love to hear from you. Have you taught an ethnic studies course to public school students? What were the results? And what questions remain for you about implementing ethnic studies in your classes? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. Again, we're looking at California's new ethnic studies curriculum model, its historic significance, and we'll be digging into the critiques and what happens now after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about California's new ethnic studies curriculum with John Fensterwald, editor-at-large of EdSource, an independent not-for-profit research and reporting organization. Also with us now is Evan Gutierrez, author of A New Canon, Managing Director of Curriculum and Assessment for Gradient Learning, a nonprofit organization focused on developing educational resources for schools. Evan Gutierrez, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be with you. Also with us is Teresa Montano, faculty member at the Department of Chicano and Chicana Studies at the California State University, Northridge, former member as well of the California Ethnic Studies Curriculum Advisory Committee. Professor Montano, thanks so much for joining us, too. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd like to start with you. As I mentioned, you were a former member of the California Ethnic Studies Curriculum Advisory Committee. And so are you happy with this final product? Well, actually, um, none of the uh, committee members were happy with the final product, which is why we, at the last minute, 
issued a letter asking that our names be removed uh, from the document since it had moved um, dramatically away from what we um, were asked to do. How? How did it move dramatically away? Well, you know, we were uh, walked in not knowing one another. So we might have known of each other's work, but never had an opportunity to work together. But we came together on what we believed ethnic studies was. And we were quite pleased that we didn't have to argue with the California Department of Education that ethnic studies was focused on the four traditional groups and that it had in California evolved from the third world uh, liberation struggles within um, San Francisco. What we were not happy about was that in the final uh, document, it no longer was a standalone ethnic studies course at best, and even arguably here, it was a multicultural US history course for infusion into uh, a US history course. The concepts um, of ethnic studies, the critical terms were removed. Um, and so it, while it, it was, became a hodgepodge of you know, everybody's curriculum and what we sometimes refer to as an all lives matter curriculum. What would you say are the foundational principles of ethnic studies? Especially at the well, level that you teach it at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say the foundational principles of ethnic studies were um, the four racialized communities, Blacks, Chicanos, Latinos, um, Asian American, Pacific Islanders, um, and American Indian and Alaska Natives. Um, as the discipline evolves, it's not the same discipline by any stretch of the imagination since 1968, but it's a very root are the stories and um, histories and cultural ancestral knowledge of these four communities and in their struggle against uh, racism. And that's not necessarily um, all uh, a negative struggle, right? We have built our, the beauty of our traditions and our literature um, and our work um, as a result in response to what racism has done to our communities. So the works of Toni Morrison, of Gloria and Saldua, uh, stories of Philip Veracruz, all of our leaders and, and, um, and authors were all built. The beauty of our culture was also how we negotiated this. And it's an evolving discipline. It's a liberatory discipline that um, when we say ethnic studies saves our lives, those of us who've worked in ethnic studies forever, it's because it gave us a voice. It gave us a purpose. It, um, it helped us to heal the trauma that our communities go through. And it gives us the, um, the wherewithal to have a real radical imagination about what a better life would be. Ethnic studies is epistemology, it's content, and it's pedagogy. It's all three in um, five very disciplines um, in a short um, definition, which I know I'm not doing justice to. <laughs> well, well, the way that it's set up now, where it will go to schools, districts and teachers to implement, it will really fall on them. Do you think there is room to get back some of the focus that you feel like got uh, either removed or watered down? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think um, it was always intended to be a framework, um, but a framework of critical concepts and lesson plans. And that's what's missing is that those concepts and ideas have been compromised. But the beauty of it is that those folks who are in the room to design the ethnic studies um, model curriculum are also the on the ground people. 
Um, many of us in the room have been um, decades in implementing ethnic studies courses and departments, not just in academia, but also within K-12. Uh, we have already started working um, with districts and teachers on what they need to do to prepare the next generation of ethnic studies uh, educators and to create the uh, beautiful and uh, engaged uh, courses in ethnic studies. So yes, we're ready and um, we have our sleeves rolled up and it isn't like we haven't done it before. We've been doing this um, throughout. It's just going to speed up like crazy and we know that. Your mentioning of ethnic studies as a as a potential avenue for healing, I feel like is reflected in this tweet we got from a listener, Norma, who writes, I'm a living, breathing embodiment of ethnic studies, adopted at birth, raised white middle class in San Francisco. DNA says I am Native American. What I have learned has broken my heart and made me wonder about the lies we tell about our country and its founding. Maria in San Francisco, join us. Hi, Maria. Hi, my name is Maria Sanchez. I'm a teacher at Aptus Middle School. Um, so um, from my understanding, my school, my, my school is currently uh, teaching ethnic studies, and I started in San Francisco Unified in 2015. And since I've been at Aptus, um, I would say that we've been teaching ethnic studies. And, and I feel like for um, the students, they start the curriculum off with understanding identity and their identity and how their identity plays sort of a role in our community, in our society. And I just really feel like um, um, it's made a positive impact on a lot of the students at my school who who um, have had these sort of tough conversations about just like what the role is in, in the school and so in the community. It sounds like you've seen it have a real positive impact in the way that you've been able to teach it at your school. Yeah, I, I don't teach ethnic studies. I teach math, but I, the students come in. There, ah. there was a couple of years. There was a couple of years where the um, where um, students would come into my class after going into ethnic studies and just coming in. You'd see the impact that was sort of of that conversation that they had from that class. It would still trickle into our class, and students would still sort of there'd be murmurs while I'm trying to teach math. I'm like, let's talk about that. Wait, let's talk. Okay, let's talk about that because it's as important as, as what we're learning right now. And it's just, it's had a huge impact. And I think just even, even if it like the bare minimum was to begin a conversation, um, that's more important to me as, as a Chicana growing up in the city, not having ethnic studies as a, as a part of my sort of education, I think it's really important to have it. And I'm really excited to hear that California is adopting this, uh, throughout K, like K twelve, or it's really exciting. So. Well, Maria, thanks, thanks so much for calling in. And again, if you want to join the conversation, listeners, the number eight six six seven three three six seven eight six, the email address forum at kqed.org, or you can reach us on Twitter or Facebook at kqed forum. Evan Gutierrez, I wanted to get your assessment of this model curriculum that the the state has put out. Yeah, happy to do it. Um, I am. Uh, sitting at a seat at the table where I'm recognizing that the whole country is looking at California. Um, and you see policies like this in the works in a number of states. Um, and we're so encouraged by all of the um, benefits to students that the ethnic studies movement has yielded so far. We're inspired by the evidence base. 
And the whole country is looking to be able to reproduce some of those benefits for their hmm. for their students. Can you um, actually describe a few of those just specifically for people who may not be familiar with the research? Some of the yeah, sure, core things it found. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, Professor Montano can probably speak to this also. Um, but it, specifically in San Francisco and in, in Tucson, where there has been a sustained effort around ethnic studies, uh, we see dramatic benefits to students um, in their attendance. You see dramatic benefits to student outcomes in the form of grades and other kind of like assessment data. You see dramatic benefits in their attendance uh, and, uh, excuse me, and, and graduation rates. So essentially anything that a school district is <laughs> responsible for um, monitoring uh, benefits when ethnic studies programs are in place. And in addition to that, uh, and to kind of reinforce a point that the caller just made, throughout all of the research, there are also uh, examples of narratives from students who all of a sudden uh, report seeing themselves in the curriculum, seeing themselves uh, as, as having uh, something to bring to bear uh, in the school, and that it's a turning point for a lot of students where they feel that the school is a place for them, like that there is, uh, there's intellectual space where uh, dedicated to cultivating them in the intellectual traditions of their communities. And so in addition to all the hard and fast data, there's also this rich narrative that we hear from students where they recognize that school had not been designed with them in mind. And all of a sudden there are classrooms that uh, are intended to center their experiences and cultivate them in those narratives and histories in such a rich way. And that's also, I think, part of what uh, what the, the nation is seeing and, and wanting to reproduce across, uh, you know, multiple other contexts from mm -hmm. classrooms to districts to state, state level. Well, let me go to caller Eric in Mountain View. Hi, Eric. Hi. Um, I just want to say that it just seems like uh, we're putting a lot of responsibility on individual teachers. You have to make very political decisions about what to teach, what not to teach, how to teach it. And I know that the, the teachers in my school can't get a break when they talk about even things like the Capitol riots. You know, the, the, the teachers either not anti-Trump enough or or um, or too anti-Trump. You know, there's always going to be some set of parents that are unhappy. And it's directed at the poor workaday teachers just trying to get their job done. Hmm. Now they have to make political decisions about, you know, whether to teach critical race theory, you know, which is going to be all over Fox News. Right. Um, so I just think it's, you know, the, the way this is implemented, saying, you know, here's a framework, you know, take what you want and leave the rest just really <laughs> sets up teachers to to bear the brunt of the uh, backlash. Thanks, Eric. Uh, I want to get Evan Gutierrez's reaction to that first. As somebody who has developed curriculum, seen it implemented, what do you think about what Eric is saying in terms of the kinds of things that could fall on teachers themselves and about the way that the state has decided to approach this to really make it so that districts and teachers interpret and choose which parts of this that they do? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, I have experience with um, creating choice with modular systems of uh, in curriculum so that the teacher is always the arbiter of what the right content is um, to go in front of their students. Uh, I am pleased that California is moving in the direction where there's you know, flexibility within a framework and the framework being inquiry, I think it's absolutely the right thing. Uh, I also think that recognizing that we're going to need to get to a place where that flexibility within that framework also comes with high quality, ideally like externally validated by experts, you know, high quality free for all curriculum. And where you've seen, uh, you know, policy levers like this pulled and, and, and have, you know, 
positive effect is where there has been a starting place with uh, establishing a framework that points to key concepts. Um, when there's identified content that has to be taught, there's flexibility about how to address it, how to deliver it. And ultimately that there's funding provided to make that curriculum um, high quality aligned to the framework and free uh, because placing the burden on teachers, either A, to not be the arbiter of what content is the right uh, fit for their classroom uh, is, in my experience, just a path to more teachers not doing it. Uh, and secondly, that we would you know, potentially create a situation where teachers were expected to build content themselves is also a path to you know, this you know, effort essentially dying on the vine. So I think it's important for us to move forward, not only with, and it sounds like that's, you know, in the works, not only with um, a flexible model, but also high quality of content that aligns to that model. John Fensterwald, have you heard from teachers in your reporting or districts that are concerned about whether teachers have the training? I know we, we talked a little bit about, um, the five million that's going to be set aside, but whether or not they really feel like they have the expertise to potentially deal with, as as Eric the caller was saying, angry parents. Right. Well, uh, I saw that um, indirect answer to you. I saw that in the presidential election when parents would come by and they overheard a discussion on the election, and and teachers were terrified because they exactly what Evan said, you could either you're tr too Trump or you're not Trump enough, got very politicized. So I don't know about that, but I, I will say this, that there are hundreds of courses now in ethnic studies. There have been high school. This is not new to California. It's been a decade old and there has been very little controversy up until now as they began to create a framework. And, uh, as Professor Montano mentioned, I mean, the key thing is to keep the focus on the benefits for the students because they are enormous. And, and uh, it does empower students who felt that school was not for them. And so it really does come down to how it's taught, but the point should never be lost that this is a really important course for students. And unfortunately, sometimes the adults get involved with their politics and particularly with the Palestinian Israeli uh, issue that, you know, brought a lot of focus during the last four years and the focus should have been on students. Mm. Well, Teresa Montano, if we do talk about students, the one thing that I did hear raise as a concern is whether or not teachers and districts will have the ability to teach these classes, this information to students in a way that might not create hostility and tension within a class, particularly if you're talking about uh, groups as having oppressed or dominant over other groups. What, is, what are your thoughts on this? Is this a concern of yours as well? Well, actually, I haven't seen ethnic studies courses from K through university um, taught by exemplary teachers. Um, it's not a concern. Um, I mean, I think if, if we look at what Sesame Street is doing right now with the discussion of race and racism, if Sesame Street can do it, um, California schools can as well. Um, I do believe that what it does is it actually um, helps us to begin to uh, negotiate and hold these conversations at a much earlier age with our students. If we actually think our students are not conscious about the issues of race and racism going on every day 
um, before them were absolutely wrong. Young children can see small children being uh, put into cages along the border. Small children know what's going on with Black Lives Matter. Small children know anti-Asian violence and they question it. What ethnic studies does is it provides you the safe space and the context to begin to have those conversations in such a way where you can actually engage in dialogue, where you can learn to, um, to discuss these um, as, um, as mutual res- with mutual respect. Um, education is political. Um, science curriculum has been controversial. Social studies curriculum is controversial. Um, and ethnic studies is taught by ethnic studies content experts. Um, do we have enough of them? No. Do we really need to do a lot more work on creating and engaging classroom teachers in developing the pedagogical skills and the content knowledge in ethnic studies? Absolutely. But teachers can be the arbitrators of their own curriculum. They can begin to discuss critical race theory as a construct isn't in ethnics, it is in higher education. But within the K-12 curriculum, it's a counter narrative. It's how I tell my story and how I tell my story against the backdrop of injustice so that it becomes a liberatory project. And watching young students do that using curriculum is absolutely beautiful. Hmm. And once parents see that, then it demystifies what ethnic studies is and it becomes an empowering process for the entire family. Well, we did hear from one teacher of young kids. Sonia writes, I'm an anti-racist kindergarten teacher in a diverse public school. For the lower grades especially, this is not, quote, ethnic studies. This is culturally responsive teaching, which better represents actual history and meets the needs of all students to see themselves as welcome and active participants in the communities and society around them. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking at California's new ethnic studies curriculum, which Assemblymember Luis Alejo, author of that state law mandating the curriculum, said the first in the nation model will show other states uh, what is possible. We're talking with John Fensterwald of EdSource, Teresa Montano, faculty member at the Department of Chicano and Chicana Studies at Cal State University Northridge and also former member of the California Ethnic Studies Curriculum Advisory Committee, and Evan Gutierrez, author of the book A New Camp. Also, managing director of curriculum and assessment for Gradient Learning, a nonprofit organization focused on developing educational resources for schools. We're getting your reactions and questions about the state's ethnic studies curriculum and how it will be implemented, and hearing about your experiences taking ethnic studies classes. If you'd like to share them, you can give us a call, 866 733 6786. Again, 866 733 6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And let me go to caller Veronica and Pico Rivera. Hi, Veronica. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. Go right ahead. 
Okay, I just wanted to call in and and in support of everyone who has already been calling in and just to echo um to echo what Dr. Montaño and the other callers have been saying and to also just uh pay respect and give thanks to Dr. Montaño and the many others with her and uh in solidarity with everyone else in California and across the nation pushing for authentic ethnic studies. Uh I wanted to call in also to um talk about we were looking at the framework guidelines, and one of the things that really popped out is that it's it's designed in a way supposedly to um, for teachers if they have a background in ethnic studies or not, they should be able to pick up the curriculum and run with it. So that's a major glaring problem. Uh, in, in addition to the many others that others have called in called in to talk about, but that one in itself, if teachers are not fully prepared and do not have a firm understanding of the history of the struggle of ethnic studies and what it is, what the tenets and principles are, then they're not going to be prepared to teach that class. And they may not even be prepared to navigate through the very difficult conversations when it comes to race and racism and classism and sexism and many other isms. And so that's that's one of the, the main things that is concerning. Um, my partner and I, we established Hecat Win Philosophies so that we can offer consulting services to school districts to address that very issue. Um, and as a matter of fact, we just had a quick training this morning for an entire high school staff because the principal there wants everyone, all of the staff members, to understand what ethnic studies is and what it isn't so that they can support the ethnic studies program on their campus. And there's there's a lot of learning that needs to take place for all educators, whether or not they're teaching ethnic studies, so that they can support this, and for all people so that they understand what it is and what it isn't. And of course, we get pushback. And so the pushback that we get tells us that there's a lot of misunderstandings, there's a lot of misconceptions, and if we allow for those misunderstandings and misconceptions to continue, then they will constantly create barriers for the development of authentic ethnic studies programs to grow and prosper in schools and in school districts. So that's another issue that, that we all need to think about and, and deal with as well. Uh, Veronica, could you just give me one quick example of the pushback you are talking about there? Yeah, um, I think one of the most common ones is how ethnic studies teaches students to hate white people. Um, and that isn't the case at all. It's about, as others have mentioned, it's about really analyzing uh, at a systemic level why we are dealing with the issues we're dealing with today when it comes to race and racism, classism. Uh, if the, the fact that we haven't talked about it uh, historically in, in, in schools has gotten us to where we are today. And it isn't a good place. And so that, that is the main misunderstanding. It really is not about that. It's about understanding uh, the, the power and how that interrelates with race, racism, classism, how that interrelates. And we talk about the intersectionalities. We talk about how the systems affect everyone. Veronica, um, and it's really yeah, sorry. Don't, don't mean to cut you off, but we've got so many calls coming in. But I think I get a sense of what you're saying, and I appreciate what you're saying. I wanted to get Evan Gutierrez's reaction to that as well. Evan? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I think that if you look at the aims of ethnic studies and really any curricula that is intended to center the experiences of racialized and marginalized people, it's impossible to create that curriculum in a way that does not acknowledge that racism exists. 
And yet that's also not the aim necessarily. Uh, I think that some of the most interesting insight that I have gotten uh, into this, how the, how white people or people from dominant groups experience this is in looking at uh, instances where ethnic studies curricula is being taught, the curriculum is high quality, the teachers are well-prepared, and it's primarily, the classroom is primarily populated by um, people like of the member group. And there are also people who don't belong to the member group in that classroom. And what you see typically with the, with the research here is um, students from that non-member group uh, have benefits as well. They're just very different. Um, you, you see students often initially report an experience of discomfort, uh, of being decentered, And in time, they're able to practice empathy identifying with people who have different experiences than their own. And ultimately, I think, build up uh, a tolerance for being decentered, which I think is a critical skill for students to have moving forward. But I also would be remiss to not acknowledge that there's a real possibility that both students and parents of students, there will be some intolerance of their decentering. And that's part of what I think we're going to see while we scale up uh, these approaches to teaching and learning. And we have more and more students who are exposed to curricula and learning spaces that are intended to cultivate a group of students in in an intellectual tradition that they may not belong to. Uh, But I also think it's critical that we equip teachers to be able to have those conversations in a way where the learning benefit to students uh, is really, really clear. Uh, I think that there's enormous benefit to to white students and white educators to be able to engage in this, but we have to be able to uh, set up that conversation in a way where the value add is clear and it's obviously a, you know, a productive conversation for them to be engaging in. Well, let me read a few more comments here. Paul writes, there's nothing wrong with criticism of capitalism and definitely nothing wrong with criticism of white supremacy. Brandon writes, ethnic studies saved my life by helping me understand and describe the context in which I grew up as the child of Chinese immigrants. I've been in SFUSD my entire life and everything that I've learned has given me insight and tools to focus on how to navigate the American political system. Harry writes, opponents of the early drafts of the curriculum were concerned about critical race theory teaching children that they themselves that they are themselves white supremacists and that communism might work attempting to officially erase Jews from the history of California is nothing short of fascist anti-semitic propaganda a la Stalin a genocidal progressive whom these policymakers no doubt think was misunderstood uh John Fensterwald Harry is touching on some of the early criticisms. Just curious where that is, especially for groups that initially objected to the curriculum's treatment of Jewish Americans. Is that criticism still very much alive or has a lot of that been withdrawn with these new iterations? A lot of it has changed. Uh, A lot of it is, well, I I think Professor Montagna would say watered down, but others would say it's been changed uh, so that it's not as... um, these, these tropes are not there, and things that set off uh, particularly American Jews are not in this draft. And I guess I, I, too, I would say is that there's a lot of good aspects left in this model curriculum. And the debate now will be, as Professor Montagna said, to restore to what an authentic ethnic studies course should be. And there's a lot of value to that, but I would encourage that it gets out to local districts to go back and ask then what is an authentic uh, ethnic studies if a lot of what uh, was in that first draft is no longer in this 
model curriculum, and yet folks do want to restore it to that. One should know, we should know exactly what was then, what is an authentic ethnic studies course. How does it differ from what is in the model curriculum? And let again, board members and teachers need to understand that as they figure out what course to construct. Well, let me go to caller Lori in Mountain View. Hi, Lori. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm Lori. I'm with an educators group of hundreds of educators across California who support ethnic studies and support telling the stories of marginalized groups. But we are very concerned about doing this with the divisive approach that we see with critical race theory in the model curriculum. Uh, We agree that these courses can do a lot of good. We think that they could be done a better way. Several examples of how this plays out in the model curriculum. Um, First is the lesson resource that is differentiated based on student skin color. That's divisive and that's discrimination. Another example is a teacher resource that actually tells teachers something along the lines of they've created an imaginary world where race doesn't exist. They tell white teachers that. That's divisive for teachers. And the third example to one of the earlier callers where she says that um, some, criti- critici- some critics of critical race theory say that it teaches students to hate white people. In this resource, actually, one of the teacher resources in the model curriculum, it says that one of the misconceptions of critical race theory is that it teaches uh, students uh, to hate white people. And then it dispels that misconception by saying, while it doesn't teach students to hate white people, hate is part of students' sense-making process. And um, the teachers that are, are in our organization are really concerned about this divisive approach. We think that ethnic studies can be positive, but it needs to be done differently. Well, let me get Teresa Montano's reaction to that. Lori, thank you. Hi, Teresa. So, I, I, first of all, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what critical race theory is. Um, and that um, that definitely is uh, work for another um, session. I think that the the very center of this is um, whose voice is uh, dominant when we talk about ethnic studies uh, curriculum. I don't think in any other discipline have, and I've been a social studies teacher for many, many years uh, prior to going into the faculty of Chicano studies, have uh, we opened our discipline um, to uh, 30,000 voices to actually begin to define what your curriculum is, and that in and of itself is part of a racist construct. The fact that we're having these discussion and that other people get to determine what ethnic studies is, is a part of that racial construct. What critical race theory does is it basically says this, racism is endemic to American life, and that each of us, based on our positionality, has a different way of growing up in this country as a result of how racism has played a, played a role in our lives. And that our reaction to critical race theory and all of our intersectionalities is what creates a counter narrative. Ethnic studies is a counter narrative. It's not seeing yourself in the curriculum and then all of a sudden being empowered to identify who you are as a racialized minoritized person from a perspective and uh, of the wherewithal of, of uh, empowerment. Um, for, for white teachers, white teachers are needed to teach ethnic studies. And we have many white teachers who are teaching ethnic studies. 
the difference is, is that for white students, you move from the initial steps of, of shaming and blaming and guilt when you enter the conversation of race to within an ethnic studies construct, because you're able to discuss these concepts with a variety of people, including victims and targets of racism, you move to curiosity, you move to openness, you move to honesty, and you move to learning about how you benefit from race. And that creates a better world for everyone. So it isn't, it, it isn't, we don't teach about racism and race. That's the context that we live in. How we negotiate and how we work with race and how we all engage in the social project of eradicating racism. That's what ethnic studies teaches us to do. Um, from the perspective of those impacted, using the historical narratives of those people that have impacted and placing those stories first. This isn't a critique of Jewish studies. Jewish studies exist. It's a vibrant, reliable, academic curriculum. But even Jewish scholars will be the first ones to tell you they are not in ethnic studies. That was a choice given to them very early on. And they decided that they felt that they needed to be their own discipline. And that it's a beautiful discipline, but ethnic studies differs. Again, Teresa Montano is the, with the Department of Chicano and Chicana Studies at CSUN. Evan Gutierrez is author of A New Canon and with Gradient Learning. John Fensterwald is with us also of EdSource, editor-at-large there. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Peter in Santa Rosa. Hi, Peter. Thanks for waiting. Hi, Nina and guests. Yeah, well, I want to put in a word for the importance of telling personal stories. I belong to a group known as the Story Project here in Sonoma County, and we go into high schools and also secondary schools, and we tell our personal stories. We're all Holocaust survivors, either first generation or second generation. And I think even though the transmission of information is important about uh, ethnic studies, I think the initial step and the challenge is to develop an empathic bond between different cultures. And the themes we talk about are universal so that all students can relate to the ideas of human suffering uh, and not belonging and how that feels. Mm. So we tell our personal stories, which really do engender um, an empathic connection with the students. There are many times when there are tears and understanding. And um, so I believe in that aside from information, imparting information, that that is a very important foundational aspect that really um, ethnic studies should be apolitical, in my opinion. Um, uh, it's really countering the us and them uh, aspect uh, and that it's the antidote that empathic bonding is the antidote to racism. Peter, thank you for sharing that. Um, 
John writes, as an Asian American, I've always supported the need for ethnic studies in schools. My question is whether we can show that ethnic studies, which isn't really new, promotes improved cross-racial understanding and respect. I ask because of the continued and growing attacks, hate crimes, and police abuse against people of color. Evan Gutierrez, I'd love to get your reaction to, to that comment and what Peter just said, just in terms of effectively either promoting cross-racial understanding, but also just implementing this in the classroom just as a final thought since we have about 30 seconds left yeah absolutely i i'm going to put this inside my wheelhouse which is curriculum development and say if you look at multicultural um curriculum and the way that that is developed uh you put the curriculum developer in a place to to wonder about what is a nearly universal theme and create a curriculum where everyone can see themselves everybody is represented in a way that is meant to foster kind of cross-cultural awareness and understanding in a classroom. Ethnic studies, and I would also term uh, culturally sustaining curricula, starts in a completely different place. And that place is uh, taking the intention to explore the particularity of one community and uh, deeply discuss, for example, Black literature like Black writers talk about Black literature. Discuss Latino history like Latino historians discuss Latino history. Uh, really scratch out a space that is intended to cultivate like BIPOC intellectualism. And that's a fundamentally very different aim. I'll say also- um, oh, We just have five seconds. <laughs> there's a lot of evidence that, that the latter is really effective and there's not a heck of a lot of evidence that the former is. Evan Gutierrez, Teresa Montano, and John Fencerwald, thanks for a robust discussion that will continue as schools do this. Thanks to Blanca Torres for this show. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.